I'm probably going to be all over the place, so just uh, bear with me. I hope that, uh, you know, one of the things I, I tell people to take my classes, you know, I tell them, if nothing else, you're going to know where the books of the Bible are. Cause, but, you know, the Bible teaches us in the book of Isaiah that it's jot upon jot, tittle upon tittle, word upon word, line upon line. What does that mean? It means how do we interpret the Bible? The Bible interprets itself. You know, you, you, one verse will tell you what the other one means, okay? That's what I mean. All right. Well, Leroy had fallen on hard times. He'd lost his job at the fertilizer plant. His wife had left him, and his unemployment had ran out, and he was evicted from his apartment. He packed what little he had in a nap snack, knapsack, made a little sign that read, we'll work for food, and set out down the road on foot. Toward the middle of the day, he came to a farmhouse and was getting very hungry, and so he knocked on the front door. The woman answered, and Leroy explained his situation, how he could do most anything, how hungry he was. At first, the woman wanted just no part of Leroy, but he persisted. Finally, he, she asked, can you paint? Oh, yes, ma'am, Leroy said. I'm sure can paint. I've done a lot of painting. Just let me show you. And the woman relented, found a can of paint and brush, and said, you go around back and paint the porch and I'll fix you dinner. Happily, Leroy went to work. About 40 minutes later, Leroy appeared at the, uh, at the front door. Are you finished so soon, asked the woman. Oh, yes, ma'am, said Leroy. But I think you ought to know that that porch out there was not a porch, it was a Volvo. <laughs> I guess you had to be there, I don't know. So. The Lord's laid this message on my heart, and he, and he wants us to do this. I, I want you to turn, if you will, over to, and what I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you this morning about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. I want you to turn with me, if you will, over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 through 10. And then we'll go over to the book of Daniel, and we'll read Daniel 4, 34, through 35 if we can um, listen what this says it says in, in Isaiah starting with verse 9 remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times Things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now, also, I want you to read with me over in the book of Daniel, and this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar, but I want to read verses 34 and 35. We'll come back and read some other verses after this. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Uh, verse, for his dominion is everlasting dominion his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants on the earth and no one can restrain his hand or say to him what have you done let's pray well father I thank you for the blessings that you have given us this day 
And I pray, Father, for the, uh, the opportunity I have to be able to speak your words. And I pray, Father, that we'll make them clean and, and we'll make them just as clear as they possibly can be. And Lord, may this, may this whole message honor you. That's what I pray for. I ask you, Lord, to be with us and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. There's a scene in the Civil War motion picture, Gods and Generals, that is telling. The movie follows the rise and the fall of the Civil War hero, General Thomas Jackson. And it does not try to hide Christianity throughout the picture. Jackson's dependence on God is shown. But never more strikingly, in the early morning hours of July 21st, 1861, prior to the first battle of Bull Run, at the glimmers of dawn break forth, Jackson calls out to God, asking for his will to be done. Almost immediately, things do not go well for the outnumbered Confederates. Union forces quickly overpowered them. The Confederate lines broke. All, all our retreat ensued. Several Confederate brigades ran to the next line of reinforcement, which was held by Jackson's brigade. Morale was all but gone as retreating soldiers swarmed Jackson's position and the Union army on their heels. But then someone yelled over the din of the battle to the men, telling them to look at Jackson. At that moment, General Jackson was sitting erect in the saddle with the cannon firing exploding all around him. He left, his left hand was wounded by the musket ball. Nevertheless, he did not flinch. Word spread among the men, look at Jackson. He's standing there like a stone wall. And they said, Stonewall Jackson, as he would be known from that day, paced his horse back and forth across the hazardous front line, shouting orders to charge, and the musket balls pierced the air. His stunning bravery stirred the men to valor, and they turned to face advancing Union forces with a new resolve. At the end of the day, General Jackson returned to his battlefield to survey the losses. 111 Confederates dead, 373 missing. Weary and sad, Jackson knelt beside a dead soldier. And it was then that one of his captains asked him, he said, General, how is it that you keep so serene and stay so utterly insensible with a storm of shells and bullets about your head? And Jackson replied, Captain Smith, my religious beliefs teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed a time for my death. I do not concern myself with that but to always be ready whenever it may overtake me. If this was the way all men lived, then all men would utterly be brave. Stonewall Jackson was declaring his belief that God ruled over the details of his life. Even the flight of bullets and shrapnel, his bravery was based on the belief that as A.W. Pink
we've, we've lost that resolve that we once had as a country. And, and you know, when I, when I think about what, um, what Jackson said about God has a time, and he does. He knows the exact time that he's going to call you and I home. In Job 14.5, he tells us simply this, and this is found in the New Living Translation, but listen to what it says. He says this. He says, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we're not given a minute longer. That's what he says. But we've lost hope. I think the other thing that's happened is, is simply this, that I think we also have that one of the things that those people that are against us, and let me, if you haven't seen it yet, you will, that, that there are those that really want this country to go down. And they're doing everything in their power to do it. Those decisions are, are statistically made in such a way that I believe are trying to bring this country down. And one of the ways they're using that is to get us to be scared to death, to be afraid. And this is, when, when COVID hit, this is exactly what happened. And some people are still afraid. And some people have not returned back to church yet because they're still afraid. They found out that if they could just sit, tell people certain lies or certain things that were happening as a result of that, their people would become so afraid that they would just fold up their tents. And yet the Bible says 365 times, fear not. That's what it says. It says, fear not, don't be afraid. The Bible also says in Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts, the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It says that hope does not disappoint. God wants to give you hope today, and he wants you to realize that hope. And as a result of that, he's also saying to you, because my hope that we have in him will not disappoint you. Amen? I believe the Lord is up to something, though. When I look to, to what he is, is doing, just in, look, at, look at what the Lord is doing just in the last year. For instance, the football coach who went out on the field by himself out west, they did not ask anyone to come with him and just pray that no injury, no one would get hurt. Some kids saw him do this and they began to join him. And an atheist saw this and he, 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 he filed a lawsuit against him that went all the way to the Supreme Court, but he won. But then in an NF, and, and so everybody was saying we can't pray. We can't pray in schools, can't pray. Why? Because we were scared. My desk on my Bible, and when I was a principal, I had an open Bible laying on my desk all the time. I never heard a word. We, we actually did this. We, we actually, you know, you got to be coy sometimes. You know, the Bible tells us to be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. And so we read the entire book of Proverbs over the intercom system. We just didn't call it the book of Proverbs. We called it your word for today. Now, but we say saying we can't pray until... An NFL game in Cincinnati, Ohio, DeMar Hamlin, a player, a cornerback, fell over and died on the field. Medical staff worked for over 30 minutes to save him. But then on national TV, grown big men from both teams got on their knees and they prayed 
And the whole world saw it, and Damar made, made overcome. Broadcaster on major TV broke down and prayed on live TV. What's God up to? The revival at Asbury that happened. Then the film, the Jesus Revolution, that they said, if you make this film, you'll go broke. Said, you won't make any more what it's going to cost. You will not make any more than 4 to $5 million. This film grossed 50-something million dollars. Then on top of that, the series has now gone into the fourth season, The Chosen. Listen, God is up to something. And he wants you to know that he is absolutely and totally in control today. Not Washington or not any place else. When we look at this country, it seems that we're more divided than in any other time. And fear has gripped our people. It reminds me back in the 1960s when the threat of an invasion by Russia that people were building a bomb shelters in their backyards. It was real. I never will forget that uh, the preacher at First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, oh, what's his name? Um, Jeffrey, yeah. And, and Jeffrey's he said simply that, uh, he said that when he was a young guy going to high school, that his teacher told him they could do a book report but they had to come in and give the report in front of the whole class. So he did it. And so he read the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. That's what he said. Or The Great Late Planet Earth. And so he went to give his report, but said what he didn't do, he went to God to tell. And of course, The Great Late Planet Earth talks about the coming of Jesus and what's fixed to move into the tribulation and everything else. And he said as a result of that, he said he went and he conspired with the assistant principal to announce to announce over the inter in his class, just in his class intercom system, said he, to announce that the Russians were invading the United States, and and the president at that time I can't think of the Carter who it was was coming back, coming back to the United States and flying Air Force One back to get back to the White House. He said, "I'm giving a report," and all of a sudden the the assistant principal comes on the thing and said, "My teacher was Jewish." Says she stood up and she says, "Oh God, it's really true," you know. And said about that time, the whole class got up and started running out. And he said, I had to stop him and say, no, it's just, I just had that all planned out. He said, but what the assistant principal didn't realize, that the announcement just didn't go to the, his class. It went for the whole school. 3,000 kids were up getting out of the school. But you know what? That's exactly where we are today. We're scared to death. I used to think America was solid because we had an ironclad constitution that prevented the takeover by one branch of government from another. I used to, we, we, there was a time in this country, maybe not everybody was Christian, I understand that. But by the same token, I think we had Christian morals and things. And now today, that's all gone because we've done away with absolute truth. Everybody's got their own truth. And the battle, truth of the matter is, in the day and time that we live in, the battle, let me tell you where it's over with, it's over the Word of God. And we as Christians, we've got to learn something. Either we stand on the Word, or we don't stand. That's it. The argument's over the God's Word. 
But today, where once branches of government had specific functions and guidelines to follow, now we see an overreach of one branch to do what the other branch are supposed to be doing. We now have elected people to the highest offices, both in parties, both parties in, in our country who are not only not qualified, but are not good people who have a hidden agendas to work through. We're divided among race because of race, divided because of sex. The cloud of economic disaster hangs over our head that many are predicting a total collapse of economic systems. Armed services seem to be weaker than they ever have been. The coffers are, are pretty well, they say, are almost empty if we had to go to war. We've abandoned teaching absolute truth, now relativism or situational ethics. And so, we, so what do we do? The psalmist asks the same question in Psalms 11, verse 3, and also in, he gives the answer in verse 4. In verse 3, he says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can we do in this whole situation that we're living in today? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then he gives you the answer in verse 4. He said this, and this is what we need to realize. The Lord, God Almighty, is on his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven, and his eyes behold the eyelids that test the sons of men. God's not moved. He's still on his throne. He's not worried a bit. He's still in charge of everything. You see, you're a Christian, and because you, are, you are belong to a sovereign father. Now, listen to what he says over in Isaiah. He says simply first, he says simply this. He says that remember the former things of old, that we've got to come back to that place where we remember what, what God has done for us. Remember where we were. Remember how God has blessed this country in every, with an overwhelming blessing in every way. Remember that. Remember remember simply that the former things of, oh, and then he says, remember this, for I am God and there's no other. I don't care what anybody else says. There's no other God but our Father in heaven. He says, I am God and there is none, and there is none like me, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. What's he saying? He's saying, I prove that I'm God because of the fact I can tell you right now today what's going to happen in the time to come. That's what he says. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future. And from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, and I will do as I pleasure, as my pleasure. Now, if I go over to the book of, of Daniel, it talks, and, and I read part of that when Nebuchadnezzar, and, and we know that, listen, in Nebuchadnezzar, starting with, uh, uh, start verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar says this, and this is in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. He's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, says, saying, Is not this great Babylon, and I think this is the attitude that we got in this country. It says, the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling of my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Is this not the mighty Babylon, the great Babylon that I have built? For a royal dwelling by my mighty power and the honor of my majesty. And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. 
And they shall drive you from the men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the... Listen to this. Until you know. You want to know what God's doing? Until we know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. Until we know that God is, is what, who is God is God. That's what he's saying. He goes on to verse 33, that at very hour the word of fulfills concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and ate grass like the oxen. His body was wet with the dew in heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds of claw. He became literally mentally ill. But then it said this in verse 34, and at the end of the time Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven. Well, what it takes for some of us to come to a place that we realize who God is. He lifted his eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. You wonder why God's doing some of the things he's doing. This is the sovereignty of God in action. When we talk about the attributes of God, we can talk about his omnipresence. He's everywhere. We can talk about his omnipotence, his, his power. We can talk about his omniscience, all-knowingness. We can talk about his immutability. That means he never changes. But the one attribute of God that we need more than any others, especially in this present time that we're living in, where things seem so uncertain, is his sovereignty, that God is in control. Because here's the comfort that we're looking for. The very comfort. Isaiah 46 says, remember, remember, remember the former things. Though The word remember is used 164 times in the word of God. That God wants us to look back to remember our history through our relationship with him. You know, just in the last couple of years, we've had revolts in this country. We've had people burning down buildings and everything else. But why was it when people began to revolt in this country in the last two years that the first objects they began to tear down were monuments? They tore down monuments like Lincoln's monument. Yeah, and, you know, and this was Black Lives Matter that did this stuff. You know, this is people that don't know their own history. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the very fact that the Abraham Lincoln is responsible for something that was called the Emancipation Proclamation. What is that for? He freed the slaves. They tore down Christopher Columbus's statues. They don't understand who Christopher Columbus was. If you go back and you really hear the history of Christopher Columbus, what you end up finding out is what a, how the things he did, God was directing many things. The first move to a totalitarian government or socialism is to destroy a people's history. Karl Marx said this, if you can destroy a people's history, you can control their future. Let me say it again. This is the author of Communist Manifesto. This is the guy who wrote this. It simply says, if you can, can destroy a people's history. If we can do away with the history and say, no, that's not it. You can control their future. I remember years ago when I was still a principal and, and we had to adopt textbooks and things and we go through social studies and, and I, I couldn't believe some of the social study books. This has been coming in a way. It's been coming in a long way. If we can, if we can just take away our history, 
you know. If we can just take it away where then, where then in 1776 or when, or when we became a nation or the Constitution was signed, what was 1788, I think, or 83, I'm not sure which it was. Anyway, well, we can see that where was the Constitution signed? It was signed in New York City. And, and, and Abraham, I mean, and, and George Washington put his hand on the Bible. And then what did they do? They walked down Wall Street with the church bells ringing. They walked down and they went to that little stone church. And guess what they did? They prayed for over three hours. And what did they do? They dedicated this country to the Lord. We've forgotten those things. You know? Or the new project that's called the 1619 Project that Black Lives Matter are pushing. Let me just say this to you. Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And I'm sorry for how black people have been treated throughout history. But let me just say this. That organization, Black Lives Matter, could care less about the lives of black people. They care about Marxism. They care about taking this country and turning it into a communist country is what they care about. So Isaiah wrote, this, this is the sovereignty and this is our hope that we have, not Washington, D.C. Our sovereignty is in God Almighty. Our hope is in our God and He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He says, remember the things of old. Oh, how we need to go back and remember how God has blessed us and how we need to remember how Psalms 27, verse 13, when it says simply, I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It doesn't say he got it. He said, I believe to see. And this is where we got to be. We got to get back to the point that we believe that God's in control and we got to come to the place that we really believe that God, even if this country does go down or whatever else, God's still got his remnant. He's still got his people. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The Lord says, remember. Remember I'm God and there's none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. I told you what would happen from the start, he says. In ancient times that were not yet done, and my counsel shall stand, I will do my pleasure, is what God says. We live in times where even debates, the debate if there is a God. He says, for I say that God is sovereign. God is sovereign, absolute foreign. And is, uh, to say that God is foreign is absolute foreign in most churches. Many will deny it. Daniel tells us that God has his way in heaven, but he also has his way on this earth. We say today that sovereignty is, is the individual, that we human beings are the authors of our own destiny and our own fate. Therefore, if there is a God out there, he's not concerned in the affairs of men. When we determine our own destiny and our own fate, truth is we find the perception of God of this contemporary society no more resembles the almighty of the scriptures than anything else so three questions that we need to be answered here here they are number one what is the sovereignty of God what does it mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God number two why is it a problem for some people and number three what difference does it make to you in your personal life Number one, what's the sovereignty of God? It is the right of God to govern and control the universe which he has created. 
Therefore, he has the right to govern the universe and do as he pleases. He has all the supremacy. He is all-powerful for all any action. He has the ability to use what power he has in any way that he chooses. God is not bound by any rules or any people. Thus, we must. We must conclude that God is subject to none. There's none like him. No, there can be none who he is subject to. Can you even begin to imagine God asking permission of someone, of course? Not. You can't. His prerogative is to do as he pleases. You remember Job tried to question him a little bit. And, and Job in 38 verse 4 and through 7, Job says this. He, says, let, he said, let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. Uh, but that that's that well that's is that it where where you know he he asked this question here's what he asked he says where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth tell me if you have understanding he said who determines measurements surely you know or who stretched the line upon it to what were the foundations fastened verse six or the laid as a cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy where were you. Some of you that seem to know everything. Where are you, he says to us. He is above all supreme. This is Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the end of the beginning. God is dictating beforehand the things that shall be done. He says he declares them in his own counsel. He is God. He must be in control. He must do according to his will. Nobody can say, what are you doing to a sovereign God? God does as he pleases. Psalms 135, verse 6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. That's what it says. In heaven and earth, in the seas and the deep places, he does what he, he pleases. This is easy for us. Is this easy for us to understand? No way. I don't understand it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, Jehoshaphat asks in prayer. Here's what he says. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over our kingdoms of the nation? In your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? He's asking that question. Are you that, are you that God, Lord? And then listen to what it says over in First Chronicles, because he's already answered it, really. First Chronicles 29, verse 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is greatness, the power and the glory. The victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, over all. We should be asking that today as we look around the world. That seems to be the chaos that seems to be breaking down morally, environmentally, in every conceivable realm falling to bits. We ask, is there a God in heaven? And the answer is, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Thine, O oh Lord, is thy greatness. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Thou art exalted head above all. So what is God's sovereignty? Here it is. God does what he pleases. Only as he pleases. And always as he pleases. In the book of Daniel, you see the prophetic view. He sees the times of the Gentiles. The kingdoms and the dynasties as he saw it. Right up to the second our Lord Jesus came. In the fullness of time, he said. And the same is for his second coming. In the fullness of time, God will send his son in. God who sets up kings. And God who puts down kings. And God who puts up presidents. 
and puts down presidents. In 425, Nebuchadnezzar, he said simply this, he said, They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. He tell this man that was going through and said, Have look what I've done. And God said, They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen, they shall wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it whatsoever he chooses. God does as he pleases. Well, Lee, who is going to be the President of the United States? Who God wants to put in there. And it may be somebody we won't want. I, I don't believe. I, I don't believe any of these guys could be in there unless God put them in there. Amen. He's in control. And so when he's in control. And he does this. He, he, so whoever he wants. You know, what we've got to do, we've got to get our eyes off the political thing. We've got to get our eyes off the national thing. And what we've got to do is get our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the one that's going to make the decision. But he sees things from the beginning to the end and how will they work out. Is it any wonder that Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, when he talked about a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God? No, it's not. Here's the second part of that question. Why is it a problem to some to understand that God is sovereign? Why is that? It's quite clear from Scripture. I am God. I do my own pleasure. He has the right as a creator of the universe. The truth is no other doctrine is hated by men like the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. They can't stand it. Man can't stand it. That God is in control. He's in sovereign. He, he, will, he, he will let God... We'll let him love us unconditionally and thank him for it. But men will let God love, create the universe, and they'll let God do anything but be sovereign. Spurgeon said, when God ascends his throne, his creature gnashes his teeth. There's a great beauty in the sovereignty of God for you and I. I'm so thankful that God loves us. And this is what Paul discovered when he said, What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? But here's the great beauty in this, and I want you to behold your God. Hold who this loving Father that we have that's in control. Who's in control? He's in control of the world. No matter what you see or hear, no matter what the news people say, He's in control. He's in control of life that you're living at this very moment in time. A.W. Tozer said, we must all be knowing he must be all-powerful. He must be absolutely free. The Bible says he knows what we have before we even ask for it. He knows what he have need of before you ask. You say, well, if God already knows what I have need of before I ask in my prayers, then why do I need to ask? Because you don't know what you have need of. You see, see, the problem that we got in praying, we just think we're just going to ask him and he's just going to give it. No, that's not it at all. What he wants us to do, here, here's God's will and here we're over here. And so we start asking and we start asking and asking and asking and asking until eventually, guess what happens? Our will begins to line up with his will and when he does, he says, okay, now we're ready to roll. And that's when he'll do it. That's when he'll answer your prayers. And, and that's really what he's talking about in the 17th chapter of the book of John. You know, when Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, it'll be done. Well, that's why, because why you're asking in the will of God. See, I got to get alone with him. And the problem is, for many of us, 
in praying, here's what we do. We pray and we just put, we just, and somebody asks us, well, did you pray? Oh, yeah, I prayed. Well, did you hear from God? No, I prayed. I didn't ask you that. Did you hear from God? Mm, well, did God tell you to do what you're fixing to do? See, see, the Bible talks about, it talks about, and many of us are frustrated. You know why we're frustrated? Because we're living our life doing dead works. Yeah. <clears throat> this is not my sermon. Do you understand what dead works are? Dead works are anything that God did not initiate in your life. That's why many times in ministry, we got people working in certain ministries, whatever, that look like they've been baptized in lemon juice and they're a whole bunch of old sour pusses and nobody wants to participate in it. Why? Because what they're doing, they're having to be forced to do it rather than to do it because they love to do it. If God initiates it, if you, and this is, this is why that verse of Scripture means more to me so much. It says, if I delight myself in Him, He will give me the very desires of my heart. He will change my desires where that now I want to do what he wants to do. Amen? So, you know, we, we must know, you know, God wants to answer your prayers, but he wants, but he knows what the future holds. He, he must know everything. For the decisions he must make. He, he, has, he has to be omniscient. He has to know everything. He must be omnipotent. He has to be all powerful. How foolish it would be to think that God would have a will. But no power to carry out those things. He can carry it out if you'll trust him. But boy you know. When, when, you know when, when's the hardest time to trust God? The last 30 minutes. You know why? Because you've trusted him. And you're waiting on him. You're waiting on him. You're waiting on him. And what do we do? Well. I guess I better go do something else. And I, and I leave that rather than waiting on him and waiting on him. And is that not what Isaiah says? Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Uh, and, you know, and you mount up like eagles. That's what he's saying to you. Just wait on me. Wait on me. We, you know. You know. And I, I, you know, one of the other things too, you know, people. And I've told you this before. I've told you simply that, you know, that... Uh, that you don't have time to pray. I probably get an amen here. If you're really honest, well, I just don't have time to pray today. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't have time to pray either. He didn't have time to pray. He made time to pray. I believe that Jesus Christ was one of the most busy, was the busiest person on the face of this earth. You read the Bible, it tells you there were times that he did not have time to even to eat because people were pressing him so much. He didn't have time to pray. So this is why you read that Jesus stole away. Sometimes you got to get out of the sack and spend some time praying. Some, sometimes you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and God's saying to you, hey, let's talk. Huh? The, you, the, you, I'm telling you, you don't have time to pray Unless you set the time to pray, because if it becomes a priority for you, then look out, because you're going to see some things what God's going to do. Third thing, he is absolutely free. 
We're not absolutely free because we're dependent beings. Somebody would say, you're free as a bird. A bird's not even free. You know, the only one who's entirely free is the sovereign God. And that means we're in not, we are not in control. We're not in the final ones to be answered to. The government doesn't like to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. The Chinese government especially doesn't like it. They laugh at it. Prime ministers, presidents, kings, potentates doesn't entertain the idea. They want to believe that all authority rests with them. So who is on the throne? And may I ask you this question? Who's on the throne of your life? But the real reason people can't accept the sovereignty of God is because there's evil in this world. Now here's the question. If God is sovereign, why then does God allow men to do terrible things? You know, many times God's provisions, here, here, here comes God's promises. And boy, we read God's promises. Now, here comes God's provisions. Does he supply what he says with his promises? And that's where our question becomes. Many times God's provisions seem to run contrary to his promises. People say this shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a Christian. Well, why is God allowing this to have my life? I, you know, I have people actually come to me and say, you know, I, I don't understand why, why all this stuff's happening to me. I'm, I'm a good person. I, I, I'm a, I belong to Jesus. Whatever. Listen, Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble. But we also understand people love to ask this question. They love to ask the question, that, will, God, will God receive me the way I am? And the answer is, yes, he will. He just won't leave you that way. You know, I love it when God gets out the sandpaper and just knocks off a few rough edges, you know. You know, just knocks off a few rough edges. I don't like it when he gets out that chisel and that hammer starts knocking the far out of me. Huh? Why? Because, you know, you, you got to realize Romans 8, 28, what does it say? All things work together for good to them who love the Lord and them who call it according to purpose. But you got to take that verse and you got to understand something. You got to take it with verse 29. Because watch verse 29 say, Whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What's he saying to us? He's saying he's trying to make you like Jesus. I tell you this, but I'm a long way from Jesus. And there's a lot of you that are the same way. You know, And why does he do this? Because he's got greater things for you to do. I, you know, I, I, when you get into the Bema seat, most Christians don't want, no, don't talk about the Bema seat. Bema seat means raised platform. But the Bible says we all must, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and everybody in here will have to. Why you say, I thought I was, I was, there is no more condemnation of those Christ. That's right. It's not one of condemnation, one of reward. But let me tell you something. God is going to, you know, the Bible says that we would judge ourselves. We would not be judged. And there's some things in our life, whatever we haven't taken care of, and that the Bema seat is going to be taken care of. But, I mean, I'm not, I, I, you know, it, it, you know, he's transforming you to be like his son. You know, here's two people, and they haven't spoken to one. Brothers and sisters, they haven't spoken to one another, I don't know when. You think God's going to let you take that into the millennium? No. He's going to bring it together. 
He's going to say, no, here's, here's what we got to do. You know, you're, somebody's got to say you're sorry, whatever, whatever. I don't know. We have a choice. You know, I once heard that the same sun that shines on the clay that makes it soft and makes it pliable is the same sun that does what? That makes it hard. And you got a choice when you go through things. You can either do one or two things. I've seen people go through things and love the Lord and, and do this and fight and go through and come out on the other side and they're, 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 they're just... They're praising God because they went through some tough times. I've seen some other people that go through things, and they're just flat bitter. And you don't ask them. You don't ask them, how you doing? They'll tell you, and it ain't very good. You know, there's David, who's Jesse and his son, and, 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 and God tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house and, and said, I, I want you to anoint one of his sons as being king. And so he goes through, he goes to all his sons, and, and, and God said, that's not the one God said. He said, because God looks on the inward parts, not on the outward parts. And so he looks at all this stuff, and he says, well, he looks at Jesse, and he says, oh, do you have another son? He says, yeah, I got one more. He's out in the sheep with the sheep right now. A guy, he's a ruddy-looking kid by the name of David, but he's not, he's not I don't think he's king material. Bring him in here. And God anoints him. He anoints him. And he lays his hand on him, and David is going to be the king of Israel. But wait a minute. Days go by, weeks go by, months go by. Some of you follow me here? Because you asked God to do something. He said he would, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. Fifteen years go by before a crown actually sets on David's head. Fifteen years. Sometimes in God's promises, we got to wait Sometimes when we got to wait, we got to wait because his provision doesn't arrive at the time we think it ought to arrive. There are times in our lives that we have a promise from God. We read his word, we take it into our heart, but everything around us seems to be going against that. It seems God's provision is running contrary to his promises, but that's not the case. Apostle Paul, he's in a boat, and the boats, they're in a terrible storm, and, and the boat's about to go down and sink, and God gives him an angel, speaks to him, and said, said you know, he says, still, just stay on the boat, everything's going to be fine, so everybody will be saved. Some guys want to get off. He said, if you get off, then you can't be saved. But he does, and the ship, but here he says everything's going to be fine, and the ship sinks, it goes down. It looks like there will be a loss of life, but, the, but then you read that those broken pieces... Of that boat, every life was brought to shore by those pieces. And, and you know what? Maybe in your life you've had a lot of brokenness and pieces going on in your life that's just about to drive you nuts. I'm telling you, some of those broken pieces, God's going to use it to bring you to shore. If you'll just let him. It may appear that our lives are running against God's promises and God's ways, but God overrules. Why? Because he's sovereign. The Lord is in control. I remember when we started this church years ago, 19 years ago. I was better looking back then, a whole lot thinner and all that kind of stuff. I, I remember when we started this church, one of the verses that the Lord gave me during that time was Psalms 25 too. Listen to what it is. Oh my God, I'll trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. If we do this, Lord, and I fall on my face, what's going to happen? He said, I will not let you be ashamed. Listen, if your boat is broken in pieces and you can float on those broken pieces, God's promises will not be overruled. Many have a problem with the sovereignty of God because life can be bitter. 
In the Ark of the Covenant, there was a rod for discipline and there was a jar of manna for feeding upon. Joseph is a great example of the sovereignty of God. He sold as a, his brother sold him as a slave. He lied about Potiphar's wife who wanted to play footsie with him. And, and, and he said she lied and he sold him into prison. He's in prison. They forget about him in prison. All this happened. But then they all wham, bam, he's second in command in Pharaoh. You remember, in his, and after his daddy died, his brothers got together and they said, oh, man, we're in trouble. Joseph's got all this power. He's going to really fry us now or whatever. But do you remember what Joseph said? Do you remember what Joseph's words to his brothers were? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. The third and final question is what difference does it make for you? That's that, that there is that there's no blind. Here it is. There's no blind faith. I hate to tell you all. Some of you bet on the horses yesterday. But there's no blind faith. No chance. No luck. Proverbs 16, says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but the ever decision is from the Lord. <laughs> so you can blow on them dice all you want to. <clears throat> Come on, baby, you need a new pair of shoes and throw them, whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you right now, uh-uh, God's the one that's going to do this. Amen? So people talk about responsibility of man. Well, here's our responsibility. Number one, you must trust the sovereignty of God. Jesus said that it's not with me, it's against me. If who's not with me is against me. There's no fence riders. Second thing is, is this sovereignty that should be a comfort to us. We are not home yet. I, I, I think about this. I, I mean, I've been put in those situations so many times. People have lost somebody. And, and, and I know what the question is. And I know what they're wanting to do. And, and you know, one of the best answers I can give anybody is this. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why that person died. I don't know why you lost that job. I don't know. But let me tell you something. I know one who does. I know God does. And, and, and I know this too. you got to understand something. One, one of these days, God, if you pray enough and you send God, I believe he'll give you the answer. But some of these things that's happened to you and happened to me, whatever's happened to our lives, will not be answered until we get home. And you're going to wonder why, and all of a sudden, here comes that little child that you lost and running into your arms. <laughs> and you're going to realize, you're going to see that sister again that you just lost, that wife, that husband, whoever it is, and you're going to realize, man, Lord, I'm going to praise you today because we're going to see things as they really are, you know. Here's the third thing. If God, through sovereignty, didn't sustain the world, where would we be? Fourth thing, learn to submit to the sovereignty of God. That's what Job did, 13, 15. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Revelation 1, 8 says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come Almighty. Now, let me do this. Let me finish. I mean finish. I'm finishing. What's the purpose of the sermon this morning? So that you and I will realize that the shaking of this world is God in control. And he'll bring it to a glorious end. Listen, listen to what Hebrews 12 verse 27 says. He says, yet once more. Now this, yet once more. Indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. God's shaking up everything. That those things are just superficial. And not, they're going to be thrown away. And there are going to be some people that are going to be leaving. Why are they going to be leaving? 
because they're not sold on, the, on what God's trying to do. They're not trusting. They're not learning how to walk in the Spirit of God. And he says that until finally those things that cannot be shaken will remain. He's doing that for you so that you'll be real with him and trust what he says. Look beyond the news reports. Look to your loving, uh, sovereign Father in heaven. And let me, let me read this verse, and this we'll close with this. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. Listen to what Peter said. He said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange things happen to you. But rejoice, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be also glad with exceedingly joy. Verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory of God rests upon him on their part. He's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. When you've got things going on in your life, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You go to the Lord, you get alone with him, and you just simply say, Lord, and this stuff's getting crazy. I don't understand what's going on. I know you do, but Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to hold on to you, Lord, in the middle of the night. Yeah, I, I had someone come to me years ago. and I used to re, I, I read the 139th Psalm, and it says, you know, that's the, the psalm that says that, that he knew me while I was still in my mother's womb. He knows my downsetting, my uprising. He knows my thoughts are far off. He knows all this stuff like that in there. But there was a verse of scripture in there that said, that said simply that uh, said, even the darkness cannot hide me from you. And I used to look at that verse and I used to say, well, okay, what that means is these guys out here, because the Bible says that men love darkness rather than evil, they're out here doing things, trying to cut locks off or whatever, you know, trying to mess with our bricks out here or something. Anyway, but they're trying to do all this stuff, and as they do that, their darkness is hiding them. I thought that was it. Mm -mm, that's not what he's saying. I had a lady come to me one day, and she said, Lee, you don't understand. I'm going through depression. And she said, in my depression, she said, everything around me is just dark. Just dark. Well, the Lord reminded me of that verse. Even the darkness cannot hide from me. When you're going through things mentally or whatever it is, Oh, how the Lord is closer to you then, maybe in that time, and you don't see him. Why? Why don't I see him? Because even the darkness cannot hide you from him. Amen? So I hope this uplifts you today. God's in control, guys. I don't care what Joe, whatever his name is, does. I don't care what the Democrats do. I don't care what the Democrats do. I don't care what the Republicans do. My God is in control. He told me he's coming back to get me one of these days. And when he does, I'm going to sail out of here. Amen? I'm not going to be in this place much longer because he's coming to get me. And if, if I die tomorrow, guess what? I go straight to be absent in this body to be present with the Lord. I'm a winner. I'm, I'm win, win, win. That's what they, that's the reason Paul, they didn't know what to do with Paul. They said, well, they said, well, I, well you know what we're going to do? We're going to torture you. He said, well, that's fine. Because, you know, when men shall revile you and persecute you for my name's sake, great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice. He said, I'll rejoice when you do that because of Christ. Then they said, well, okay, then we'll just kill you. Well, that's fine too. Just go ahead and kill me because to be absent is by his presence. What are we going to do with this guy? They said, you know, whatever. And that's what the Lord wants to do with you. Amen. So this morning, I want you to be uplifted. I don't care what the country does, whatever happens. You know, all the things that are happening around us is crazy. 
I know it is. But I want you to stand. But let me tell you something. All this stuff I've had for you, the sovereignty of God, if you know my Lord, then boy, you ought to just praise God that the sovereignty of God is for you. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and there's never been a time on God's calendar that God can look and say, well, this is when so-and-so came to Jesus, that you didn't give your heart to Jesus. There's never been a time that's happened. If that is the case, then let me...